Today we're looking at enjoying God. How can we keep on enjoying Him? Now it's hugely important uh, that we lay some foundations before we go any further, because maybe even the thought of that, as I say, um, we can enjoy God, thinking, hang on, what do you mean about enjoying God? So I want us to jump straight in with three headings. The first is this, we're going to look at the possibility of joy, kind of a, a Bible background on how we can enjoy God. Secondly, we'll look at the path of joy, see how Habakkuk found it in Habakkuk 3, and then we'll look at the power of joy, the difference that the joy in enjoying God can make in our lives. So let's look first of all at the possibility of joy. And as humans, it is clear, isn't it, to see that we are hardwired for joy. We are, have this longing, this desire for joy and enjoyment. We all want happiness and we're all after it. And why is that? Well, we're made in God's image. He made us and he made us to enjoy him. He made us to enjoy the greatest being that ever is. He made us to enjoy the eternal, glorious beauty of himself. That's what we were created to enjoy. We were made to enjoy him and to enjoy the world that he's given us. We were made to enjoy this world with him as the giver. He has created us to find our joy in him. Now, before looking at this passage in Habakkuk, I wanted us to see this and to stop here. Do you realize that you can enjoy God? Enjoy being with him? Enjoy speaking to him? enjoy singing his praise, enjoy being in relationship with him? Do you realize that when God invites you to follow him and trust in him, he is inviting you to limitless, glorious, uh, satisfying joy? Do you know that? Do you believe that? So often we can think of God a bit like this. I have to put up with him. Maybe there's a relative that you used to have to visit when you were younger, an older relative. And every week or every month, you'd be taken along to visit this relative. And you kind of did it because you thought it was a good and right thing to do, to do. But you put up with it, if you're honest. And sometimes God can be in that bracket. Yeah, I realize it's a good thing for me to do. And so I'll put up with, with you know, talking to God now and again when he's useful. I'll put up with going to church because it's a decent thing to do on a Sunday morning. But knowing God and enjoying him that really hasn't factored in our thinking so often. So I wanted us to show just briefly from parts of the Bible why this is something that we're invited to. And I just wanted to show, I put them on the screen. Thomas, could we have the, the slide? Here are some Psalms that talk about how we can enjoy God. Now, the Psalms are a great way of showing the reality of God in our daily lives, the experience of God, what it's like to, to struggle and rejoice in our lives as believers. We see it in the Psalms. So there we see kind of on the earth what it looks like to follow God. That's why you have Psalms which say, how long, O Lord? This is really hard. I can't put up with this. But also we have Psalms that say, as we see here, I want to rejoice in you. So listen to these Psalms. What is the psalmist's experience of God? Psalm 16, verse 11. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What is it like to be in the presence of God? Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. 
or Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight in Him. He is to be delighted in. Of Psalm 40, 16, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Psalm 43, then I will go to the altar of God to my exceeding joy. Who is my exceeding joy? It is God. Psalm 64, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord. Or Psalm 105, what does it say? Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. You see, enjoyment, pleasures, joys in God's presence, we can do it. We can have this joy. Think about when Jesus came to earth. What was his first miracle in John's gospel? Turning water into wine. There's a party that's dying, and Jesus resurrects that party and says, this is what I'm about. I'm inviting you to the kingdom of joy. I'm inviting you to the glorious wedding celebration of heaven. Come and experience joy with me. Jesus says in John 15, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I want to give you fullness of joy, Jesus says. That's why I have come. And remember Philippians, Paul there constantly is saying rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Again, we see it time and time again. Throughout the Bible, we see people experiencing God, and their experience of Him is one of joy. So when you come to know God and trust in God, it's not drudgery, it's not colour is sapped out and kind of monochrome, it is technical, it is glorious, it is wonderful. And in knowing God, and in knowing His nearness, in experiencing His love, we can know deep, unquenchable, lasting, eternal joy. That's what he invites us to. That's what he says this morning is, I want you to be part of. So we were created to experience joy. But the problem is, we look for joy elsewhere. We hear that God says, okay, you can have joy with me. And we think, no, I think there's greater joy in other places. Or we look at his gifts that he's given us and think we'll find joy just in the gifts rather than him. We find, uh, we look for the, the presence rather than the presence of God. And we just look at the gifts. And because of that, we end up just, well, keeping on looking because they don't satisfy. They don't fill us up. We keep on searching. We keep on longing. But this morning, God invites us not to less joy. He's not saying leave joyful things and come and follow me. He's saying, leave those small joys and come and experience the real thing with me. You can have your kind of processed meat or you could have steak. What are you going to have? C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, we can be like children playing in the mud when we can't imagine what a holiday on the beach is like. We are settling for little pleasures when God offers us deep and lasting eternal joys. We were made for more, and we settle for less. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, do you realize there's a possibility of joy and enjoyment in God? Or have we lost sight of it? Have we just gone into drudgery? If we have, there's no surprises there why we'll drift away from God. It's no surprise that we won't want to talk to Him or spend time with Him or follow Him, because there's more joy elsewhere, we think. 
But this morning is a reminder to us that as we draw nearer to him, as we experience more of him, there is more and more joy and enjoyment to offer. So the path of following Jesus, he says it's a narrow path, and it is a narrow path, but it's a path of joy, of superior joy, more joy than any other path. Do we believe that this morning? Now, if you're not a Christian and you're kind of thinking these things through, I wonder if you misunderstood God. Have you seen that, have you maybe thought, well, I'm not going to follow God because, uh, you know, it, it looks like if I follow him, I'll have to lose everything I enjoy. Or I'll miss out on things. Well, there's a way in se- and a sense in which when you do follow Jesus, we do have to say no. We say no to self, we say yes to God. But no to self and yes to God isn't no to joy and yes to no joy, it's yes to greater joy. Maybe you've seen the emptiness in things all around you and in what you've tried to invest your life in. And you realize there's nothing. What if this is the joy you long for? See, there is a possibility of joy with God. That's the first thing I wanted us to see. The second thing we're going to look at now is the path to joy. And I want us to use Habakkuk as kind of a case study to say, well, look at this passage. Look at verse 18. He says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So the question we want to ask is, well, how does Habakkuk get there? How does he have joy in his God? What goes on? Well, this is the end of the passage. What's been going on before? And the temptation is to think, well, he's obviously had things easy if he's enjoying God. He's obviously um, in this wonderful place where he's having no troubles and no trials and no struggles, and, and he's just enjoying God. Well, no, if you look at Habakkuk, he is going through a crisis of faith. God's people, as they often do in the Old Testament, had ignored God. They had gone their own way. They were worshipping other idols. They were thinking, you know, I I can worship God at other God. I don't need that God. They kept on walking away from God. And so God, in his love and kindness, would send prophets. And these prophets would remind them, turn back to God. You're missing out on him. He is calling you back. He's calling you to repent. He's calling you to turn to him. And what did God's people do? They ignored him. In Chronicle, 2 Chronicles 36, it says this, The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets. So there was Habakkuk. He was going saying, turn back to God. If you don't, then judgment will come. God will give you what you want. You're saying, God, we don't want you. God will give you that. He'll, he'll say, fine, don't have me. He will let the other nations come in. He won't protect you. Turn back to God. But what did God's people do? They mocked him. They ignored him. And so judgment came. Other nations came and um, took over the land. And so here was Habakkuk looking at what was happening, looking at the judgment that God had brought on this nation. And if you turn back to chapter 1, Um, you'll see this is how he starts it. In Habakkuk 1 verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. He's like, God, why aren't you doing anything? That's what it feels like to him. He is struggling. He is finding this really hard. In verse 16 of chapter 3, his body is trembling 
as he looks and he thinks of what's going on and happening here. So in the midst of all that, how does he end up in verse uh, verse 18 of chapter 3, rejoicing? If he is struggling with what's going on, how can he get there? Well, in chapter 3, we see what Habakkuk does. Look look at verse 2 of Habakkuk 3. He says, Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He has heard the report. I remember what you have done, he says. He repeats his deeds. He says, this is what God has done. And as he looks back on what God has done, then he starts to see more of God's character, more of what God is like. And these verses basically just tell us and take us through what God has done in the history and saving Israel. So verse 3, it talks about um, Timan uh, and Paran. They are places along the way, as they were in the wilderness, get into Sinai, where God gave the law of God to Moses. So remember, when God rescued his people, he brought them to Sinai. And that is where he said, you are my people. I'm committing myself to you. And verse 4, it shows us kind of a reminder of that. His brightness was like the light, rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Sinai was just a massive display of God's glory. And then verse 9, what do we read there? Well, he's talking about the Exodus. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, and you split the earth with rivers. Uh, There in verse 11, we read, The sun and the moon stood still in their place. The light of your arrows, they spread. The flash of your glittering spear. Here, verse 15, we hear about um, trampling the sea with your horses, surging of mighty waters. Here is God. What did he do? Well, he rescued um, God's people from Egypt. We remember in the Exodus what he did there. He revealed his might and his power. Verse 6 shows that he, he, um, he looked and shook the nations. That's the power of God. He just had a look. And the nations in all their power shook. Did you have a teacher like that? It only took a look. Just a look and you kind of freeze. Here's the mighty God in this look. And the nations tremble. Habakkuk is bringing to mind the authority and the power and the glory and the majesty of God. And when you put all that together, he used his power to save and rescue. Verse 13, it says, you went out. Why? For the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. Why did you do all this? Why did you show that you're this warrior, this mighty one, this powerful one? Why did you save and rescue? Because you love your people. Because you were committed to them because you were faithful, because you were a saving God. This is what you do. And Habakkuk, even though what he saw around him was confusing, reminded himself of what God is like, of God's power and greatness, of God's might and his strength, and he thought, hang on, God hasn't changed. God is still the same, and his heart was full. Look at verse 17, and he says, though fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stores. What he's describing there is a total meltdown of their society. Desperation. There is no harvest. There is no food. Financially, this means we've got nothing. Materially, we are empty-handed. The food is running out. There is no work or jobs for anyone. Everything is gone. Anything earthly that we put our hope in in those verses, in, in verse 17, 
is gone. There's nothing, he says. Even though I have nothing, look what he says. Then verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will rejoice. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Has Habakkuk's situation changed? No. He still sees chaos and judgment all around. He still sees heartache and pain, and yet he realizes that God, who saved back then, is the same today. He hasn't changed. He has still got a big purpose that I don't understand or get, but in the middle of it all, I can trust him. God hasn't changed. When all else fails, if I find my joy in him, nothing can shake that. Nothing can take that away. He's the God of salvation. He's the God who saves. Now, when we think of our path to joy, how can that be true for us? How can we put ourselves uh, where Habakkuk is? How can we remember the glory and the power and the majesty of God? How can we remember that he saves and he loves and he rescues? Where can we go? As he thought back to Paran and as he thought back to Timan, where can we go? Well, can't we go to Bethlehem? Can't we go there and see that the eternal Son of God, the all-glorious one, humbled himself and became smaller than the top of a pin in the womb of Mary? He became nothing. He was born as a baby, dependent on this teenager. The one who held the planet in orbit couldn't even hold up his own neck. He became nothing. The one who was all glorious and mighty humbled himself to become a baby who had to have his nappy changed. We go to Bethlehem and we see, why did God do that? Why did the Son of God humble himself that far? Because he loves you and he wants to save you. We can go to Nazareth and we can see Jesus walking around preaching, teaching. People smirking and mocking him because of his birth. People hurling abuse at him. People planning and plotting his death him being a ridicule to those around him. Even though he lived this perfect life, even though he cared for those around him, looked after the outcast, showed immense love, yet he was ridiculed and mocked and hated. We can go to Calvary, and there we can see this glorious Son of God beaten, bleeding on the cross, bearing my shame and your shame and your guilt. The perfect one, being punished for our wrong, bearing our guilt, bearing our shame. And there on the cross, he died heartbroken, rejected by his father, his side pierced all alone, nothing. And why did he do that? He did it for you. He did it because we needed to be forgiven. He did it because that's what we deserved. To have our relationship with restored so that we could have access again to God who created us. Where can we go to see the might and the power of God? We can go to the tomb where this body that was dead, where the lungs that had stopped breathing, where the heart that had stopped beating lay motionless. And then three days later, that heart started to beat again. The lungs started to inflate, the limbs started to come back with movement and there the mighty conqueror jesus christ rose again the mighty powerful one conquered death that we can't that we can't budge but he can shift because he is powerful and mighty 
Jesus shows us the power of God. He shows us the love of God, and he shows us that he is the one who never changes. Look and behold the salvation of our God. And he did that for you, so that when our hand is in his, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear judgment because he has forgiven us. He has dealt with it all. So we trust in him and we lean out all on him. And when we realize that, we are safe now and forever in the hand and in the arms of Jesus. It means that whatever we face in this life, we can experience that joy that we were created to know. It doesn't mean that we won't struggle. It doesn't mean that we won't say, why, Lord, how long? But in those moments of darkness, we have these lights of, of, of joy in him. Can you see that in him, there is a joy that nothing can take away? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You can find joy in him this morning, whatever you're going through. However hard things are at the moment, there is a God there who never changes. If you're here and you're not a Christian, do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize what he's done for you? Do you realize how much uh, Jesus went through so you could be forgiven? Turn to him today. He won't turn anyone away. He's asking you, he's inviting you. Come and experience the joy that nothing touches. So we've seen that there is a possibility of joy. We can enjoy God. We've seen that there is a, a, a path to joy that, that Habakkuk shows us. But as we come to close now, I want us to think of the power of joy. And here is four ways that the joy of God in our lives can help us. Four ways in which it is um, powerful. Okay. And the first one is this, joy and glory. Joy and glory. Now, God created all things to show his greatness. He wanted us to see the best thing there is in the world, which is him. And so he created all things for his glory, for us to be able to see how amazing he is. And so what brings most glory to God? Well, we bring him glory by enjoying him. By enjoying God, we actually show and declare that he is glorious. Sometimes when we think about enjoying God, we can think, oh, it's a bit self-focused, isn't it? What about God? But actually, by enjoying God, we show and we declare how glorious he is. This is how Jonathan Edwards, a theologian, put it. He said, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by being rejoiced in. When those who see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. Not just to see God's glory as some kind of thought, but to experience it. And that shows much more glory. Another way of putting it is like this. John Edwards uses honey, but I'm going to use chocolate, because I think we, we would probably go to chocolate as a snack rather than honey these days. You can read about chocolate. You can study it. You can realise how sweet it is. You can realise the different flavours that might be available. You might read about it, research it. You could write a paper on it. You could get a PhD, maybe, in, in the sweetness of chocolate. That's all very well and good. But then you taste it. And then you realize, right, I get it. Chocolate is sweet. Chocolate is great. If you don't like chocolate, think of something that you like, okay? Chocolate is, and that's why we enjoy it. Because you taste it, and tasting it is so much different than just 
researching and knowing about it. Which brings more glory to Cadbury's? A paper on how sweet chocolate is, or a group of people who are rejoicing in how brilliant it is and wanted to share it around? Can I have some of this? Which one? People whose lives are changed by it, isn't it? People who enjoy it. Just knowing facts doesn't match experiencing the joy. So do you see, enjoying God brings glory to him. And so our, we need to battle and fight to enjoy him. There's an illustration that um, uh, an American pastor uses, which is um, uh, John Piper, and he, he says this. Look, imagine now a husband and a wife, and they've been married for 25 years. And um, the husband goes home and he knocks on the door. I never understand that bit, but anyway, he knocks on the door, and um, the door opens and it's his wife, and he says, happy anniversary, I've got 25 roses for you. And uh, we're going to go away for the weekend. And she says, oh, you shouldn't have. And he says, well, it's my duty. It's what husbands do. Apparently, 25 years, this is a good thing to do, so I'm, I'm doing it. Or, let's imagine that, rewind, let's imagine that situation again. Knock on the door. Um, hello, here is 25 roses for our 25 years that we've been married. And I'd like to take you away for the weekend. And then she says, that's lovely. You shouldn't have. And then the husband responds, these 25 years have been amazing. I love you. And I can't wait to spend this weekend with you. And there's nothing else I'd rather do. Which one of those two scenarios brings most honor to the wife? Which one brings most glory? Which one shows her to be better? Well, it's the second, isn't it? Do you see the difference between just saying duty or delight? See, we bring glory to God when we enjoy him. We show everybody how great he is. And it is so much more than just, I, you know, what is a Christian? Somebody who does what they should. No. Somebody who delights in God and does what delights him. Because we know that will ultimately help us to delight more. We bring glory to him by enjoying him. So the power, the first thing we see in the power of joy is the glory and power. Secondly, think about the, the, the power of, of joy. We're thinking of joy and suffering. And we really see this in Habakkuk, don't we? There is power here because so often in the Bible we see that there is a joy that is unshakable and that we can experience even in the midst of struggles and suffering. Often we can jump straight to verse uh, 18 and think, I will rejoice in the Lord. Right, okay, okay, I need to rejoice in God. And, but we forget that the whole book of Habakkuk, the fact that it starts with, how long, O Lord? You know, how long shall I cry? And most of this book is him struggling. And yet then he gets to this point where he um, ends up rejoicing, but he wrestles. So there is strength in joy because it is sustains us and keeps us even when everything else falls apart. Look what it says in verse 19. We can't do this coming on our own. We feel like, how can I enjoy God when I'm struggling and when I feel just cold? Look what he says in verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. So this one who crushed Egypt with his power, he is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. So instead of verse 16, trembling and shaking, he now feels sturdy and secure because he's found his hope in God. He makes me tread on high places. He makes me sturdy when in these places where it's uneven and unsteady. See, here is a God who says, I can give you the power and the strength to enjoy uh, and to face joy even when you don't feel like it. Um, William Cowper, or Cooper, who's a hymn writer, 
was a great friend of John Newton, um, who wrote Amazing Grace. William Cowper was a man who, who struggled so much with depression and um, doubts about his faith. He was hospitalised because of a breakdown he had. He had three attempts of suicide. He really struggled. And like I said, one of his closest friends was John Newton, who really had to battle and help him through this. Now, where did William Cooper find his comfort? Well, he wrote a hymn called Sometimes a Light Surprises a Christian when he sings. And listen to the fourth verse. See if it rings any bells with Habakkuk. Though vine nor trig tree neither there looked for fruit should bear, though all the fields should wither, nor flocks nor herds be there, yet God the same abiding, his praise shall tune my voice, for while in him confiding, I cannot but rejoice. And that's not coming from somebody who just floats away without any care. That is somebody who has been down in the depths. And he says, yet I can rejoice in God. There is power in this enjoyment of God because it can help us even when everything else is so dark. Let's remember what he has gone through. Remember what Habakkuk struggled through and know that God is the same. So there's joy and there's power in our suffering. The third thing, remember just four, these last two are very brief, four things where the power of joy is seen. We see power uh, as we suffer. We see power because it brings glory to God. We see power and joy in obedience as well. Because if we realise that the true lasting source of joy is God, then obeying him isn't us saying no to pleasure. Obeying God is actually the path to greater pleasure. And you see, Satan wants us to say and wants us to think, if you follow God, it's going to be less pleasure for you. If you follow God, he wants to sap any joy out of your life. So don't listen to him. Go your own way. Do your own thing. You know what's best. But actually, when we realise what God is inviting us to, that helps us so much in temptation and in our struggles. It helps us with true obedience. Because God today is saying, will you obey me? Will you have, and he's inviting us to wonderful joy. And doesn't that release us? Doesn't that give us power? We're not saying, we're fighting fire with fire. The fire of temptation and struggle with the fire of God's joy. So we fight for more joy in him. There is power here in our obedience. And the last thing is, we can know power and joy in evangelism and sharing the gospel. When you experience something good, you want others to enjoy it. When you taste something nice, you want others to taste it. When you watch a good program or box set, uh, you want other people to watch it. When you've read a good book, when you hear a good piece of music, you want to share it. When you taste and see that the Lord is good, the natural response will be you want to share it. And not only that, part of the joy of experiencing it is when others experience it with you, isn't it? When somebody else hears that piece of music you love and they get it, yes, it gives you more joy. When somebody else tastes that food that you like or watch that program, you can talk about it with them. That fills you with joy. So us sharing this news with other people is an invitation to more joy. Not something we have to do, but actually, can I tell you about the greatest joy of all? Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about him. See, there is power in enjoying God. So this morning, how do we keep on enjoying? We keep our eyes on remembering that God is the God who invites us to glorious joy. He wants us to enjoy him. And there is power there. And so we might feel like Habakkuk. We might be crying out, Lord, how long? 
let's pray that as we look and behold God's character, we come to this verse that says, even though fig tree should not blossom, even though fruit not be on the vines or produce fail, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Today, God is inviting all of us to a, a path of great joy. Let's pray that we would follow him and go with him and experience that together. Let's pray before we uh, sing our last hymn. Lord, these truths are things that we don't just want to know in our minds and kind of agree with. Lord, we want to experience. We want our affections to be changed. Please, Lord, would you help us over these coming days to have moments where we experience your presence and realize that in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Help us, Lord, we pray, to do this for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>